Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this episode of the Industry Partner Series of the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, titled Wisdom from the World's Wealthiest Painters, we host guest Brandon Lewis. Brandon is the founder of Academy for Professional Painting Contractors. He specializes in helping painting companies increase their income and reduce day-to-day frustrations through done-for-you systems and one-on-one mentoring. In this episode, Brandon discusses the habits, mindset, philosophy, and implementation methodology of the highest achieving painting contractors he has encountered. What's going on, Brandon? I am doing great. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you very much. I'm I'm pumped to have you. I love your name. Love your attitude. Hey, let's go, Brandon. I hear it everywhere I go. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. That is the kindest thing. And I just, it, I feel a, a sense of encouragement. Right. Uh, so it's, it's awesome. This is the, this is the year for us. I, when I, when I first uh, read that, I think someone had commented to a Facebook post before I realized that that was a thing. And someone said it and it might've even been an ad on Facebook. I was like, man, like that, Gosh, that makes me feel really good. Usually people are kind of hurling stuff at you on Facebook. And this guy's just like, hey, let's go, man. You're doing great. That's and awesome. I, I even like- had it put on a, a tank top. <laughs> I wear it to the gym occasionally. And people say, I like your shirt. I said, well, it's my name. Uh, so there you have it. You're, you're, you're taking the, yeah, you're, you're going to take the bump. So there you go. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. You've been you've been in this space for a really long time. I'm super excited for, for what you have to share with us. Uh, I'm going to let you kick off, brother. So if I could prime the pump here or, or set the scene for folks that are listening on your podcast, it's seven o'clock in the morning. You show up to the paint store and you look around and there's so much money in the painting industry. It's multi, multi-billion dollar paint uh, industry uh, all, all over the United States of America. And I also work in a lot of English speaking uh, countries like the UK and uh, Australia, Canada, Switzerland, all, all kinds of places. You would think that people would be wealthy, but instead you look around the parking lot and what you see are folks that are barely getting by, uh, people that are driving old rusty vans and trucks, folks that have been laboring uh, at this vocation now for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And, and when it gets uh, retirement time, instead of selling their painting business for multiples of their income, they roll their rusty equipment out on the sidewalk and they tell all their painting friends they're going out of business and maybe they go drink a beer at the local bar and they post an ad on Craigslist and that is the end of the legacy. 
but it shouldn't be like that because uh, we are in an industry, if you do it right, and it's not very hard, where you can put $5,000 in a project today and get 10000 out of it five, six days from now. You can't do that in retail. You can't do that in manufacturing. Uh, but because folks are confused about what they do for a living, because they um, they got to their business, um, I guess or they launched their business um, in a weird way uh, from a technical perspective, uh, they miss out on the wealth and affluence that can be created through the painting industry. And so we're here to talk about, you know, what separates the the ultra achievers uh, from your average painter and why that need not be the case. I love it, man. Let's dive into your business. You've obviously worked with many painting companies. So you have you have your own personal experience and then you have a lot of experience from all the companies that you've coached. Can we learn more about about what you do? Yeah, just go to paintersacademy.com. Uh, a lot of folks follow our YouTube channel. You just type in Academy for Professional Painting Contractors. It's a long name uh, or Painters Academy. It'll pull up either way. But I mean, that's a good way to, to learn about it. But uh, as you mentioned, I've worked with I guess now it's somewhere between 450 and 500 painting contractors in six different countries. And so I have just seen a lot. And uh, after a while, uh, the truth begins to coalesce. If you do anything for a living uh, long enough, and if you do the same thing over and over again, uh, you start to see a pattern of behavior, a methodology that works. Uh, you begin to uh, see the pitfalls. You begin to see the opportunities. And after a while, you develop a philosophy based upon reality, and you're able to reproduce that for folks. And so that's uh, what I spent all day long doing. Yep, I love it, man. That's <clears throat> that's actually what the industry partner series. So you're coming on as an industry partner because that's really your your area of expertise. Here is working with other painting company owners. That's kind of how this originated. Was the idea that because the Painter Market Mastermind podcast, we've been talking with successful painting company owners for years. You know, people above a million, people above 10 million, people above 50 million, right? What did you, what, you know, what do you recommend, et cetera, et cetera. But when you talk with people like you who have, who have helped, who have hands-on worked with hundreds and hundreds of painting companies across, I guess, six different countries, there's a certain level of data that you can extract. There are themes that you can present in a way that's just not possible talking with owners one-on-one. So I'm super excited for this. Well, thank you. I've, I, for example, I've got my own coach that I've worked with for years, and he is a coach to coaches uh, and associations. And I have my experience running my organization, but it's not the same as his uh, helping hundreds. And so uh, when I present a problem to him that to me just seems completely unique and unsolvable, and I've wrestled with it forever, it's like two minutes into it, it's like, what you need to do is, and that's stupid, and do this thing over here, and right, 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 and I do it, and it is a lot better than what I would invent in my own brain, or trial and error, and so it's, my, I'm not any smarter than your average painter, I've just uh, been a librarian for all these ideas, and I have uh, stolen uh, tons of ideas from our most productive members who have suggested new and better ways to do things, and I, I always tell them, I'll give you credit the first time, but after then, it's my idea. <laughs> and so <laughs> just be prepared. Yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah, we're, we're all uh, out here trying to reinvent the wheel, right? Or, or thinking that our problems are unique, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. the painting, painting industry is not a new industry. These are not no. new. Challenges. No, you can go visit the pyramids. <laughs> if you think it's new, just go down there, go down there, visit the visit Tutankhamun's tomb, and you'll see that it is not, it is not new. People have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. So in light of focusing on, I guess, the most successful themes, 
I would actually like to start the opposite way. And I'd like to see the most, most common problems, right? We all think, oh, we can't find it, find any good painters or, you know, we, we keep getting undercut um, by chucking a truck. So we're not able to actually charge what we're worth. Uh, these are two examples of, of common, unique, quote unquote, unique problems to a specific market or my market's not big enough. What sorts of patterns or problems have you seen across the industry at large that people maybe think are unique to their market or maybe are, are just not thinking about this the right way and you, and you have a chance here to set the record straight? Well, I would say that, that people are looking at symptoms instead of diseases. If your problem is not that you've got a runny nose, your problem is that you've got a rhinovirus. Your problem is not that, you, that you've that you're incontinent. <laughs> the problem is that you you ate a, a, a bean burrito with five pounds of jalapenos in it. And this these are the results. These are not the uh, the, the problems are, are the result of how you run your business. They're not uh, a problem with the industry or the business. OK. Uh, and I think that the underlying cause of the majority of these quote unquote problems, which really aren't problems at all is this tradesman to entrepreneur to manager journey that most people go on, not all. And there's a kind of a, a, a different problem that I see with people that are college educated or have worked in another field and they start a painting business, which are, you know, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15% of the people I work with. Uh, I was one of those individuals, but when you go from being a tradesman to an entrepreneur, often, you know, you uh, one day you're painting and the next day you're pissed off at your boss and the next day you're running a painting business. And so people look at things like, oh, crap, I know how to paint. Now I've got to get a price out the door. And you think that's sales. And then you're like, oh, crap, I got to find a lead through any means necessary, no matter how expensive or how poor the quality of the client or how price sensitive. I got to find a lead. Uh, I've got to I've got to hire a painter. But you really don't stop to think that, hey, I am now uh, a sales manager. I am now uh, a small business marketing person. I am an operations specialist. And if you never develop any of those skills, um, then you're going to the road's going to be tough. The profits are going to be low. The days are going to be long and frustrating. And it's simply because uh, those are things that most folks that have spent two, three, ten years as a crew leader, uh, the boss isn't training you how to do sales. He's not, and he didn't know either. And he's not training you how to do operations. And so you find yourself foist into this situation where your your family's livelihood de depends on your expertise and ability in those areas, but you don't have any. <laughs> and then the worst part of it all is when you lack the self awareness uh, to know that you lack them, and you continue to to blame outside circumstances for your situation, and that is a vicious cycle. Man. I have never heard it laid out like that. That is impressive. That is really. I think that is at the root of the problem. And and you would any man in a van business, plumber, uh, general contractor, even uh, you know, gutter installer, it's all the same. You got a dude in a van going to a box to do something with his hands and tools. Or if you're running a, you know, if you're in a box, people bring their van to you and you fix it or they bring their face to you or your feet or whatever it is you do. Or you counsel them about their marriage. It's all service industry related. Uh, but, you know, the, the service is the least important part. It's the least important part because if the service was the most important part, the painters would make a ton of money and the owners would make none. 
Uh, so, but it's exactly the opposite from the income standpoint. And so we know that the skills required to run the business are far more important than the trade knowledge. Interesting. What is the the problem that you see that from the 10 to 15% that are college educated, they decide, hey, this looks, looks like a good opportunity. I'm going to start a painting company. What does that look like? They're so smart, they're lazy. They, they won't do anything. The the dumb ones, uh, my dumb, I always say my dumb uh, members are putting checks in the bank uh, and, and piling up income while my smart ones are giving me the 15 reasons why my recommendations won't work. And that goes on for too long. And, and, and I always tell our guys, you know, wealth is attractive, speed of implementation. It is repelled by sloth and indecision. And the slower you move, the poorer you will be, uh, especially once you know what to do and you've got a good idea that it, that it needs to be done. And so uh, that and then I, there's an odd thing that happens. And I did this myself. Uh, and so I, I can't say that, oh, y'all, y'all did this. Uh, but I never did that. Uh, people very often fail to take the skills that made them successful in their previous business into the painting field because they think all the rules are different when in fact, in many cases, they are not. Uh, case in point would be, I talked to a lot of guys that were in manufacturing sales or were in some kind of sales position uh, or an accounting position. And when I asked them about their sales process, it's like they pet the dog, they email a PDF, they barely do any follow-up, and they wonder why they keep losing jobs. I said, is that how you did it when you sold $200,000 pieces of equipment to auto manufacturers? Well, no. What the hell makes you think it's going to work here? And same thing with an accounting. So you were an accountant, but you're not doing job costing. You don't have production rates. Like you don't count what you sell for a living, which is labor hours and gallons of paint. Well, and so that's that's a that's something I see with uh, college educated folks uh, is really this kind of analysis paralysis, uh, and then uh, followed up by the fact that they do not really leverage um, what made them successful in their earlier careers. And, and not that all of it would transfer, but but a lot of it does, and they leave that on the table, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I love that, man. So the I, I want to touch on one thing quickly, just to kind of hammer home that point that you brought up about quick implementation. You know, people overthinking things, people trying to overperfect things. So when we started, before we started the podcast, you and I were chatting. We talked about how we both like to move quickly and we don't like to overly edit our podcast. Talk about on a podcast, so we'll use the podcast as an example. Um, I didn't have the the intro done quite as much as I should have. This is a nice way of putting it. Uh, right before we we started this, I just read it, right, as I, as I launched this podcast, I messed up. I actually stumbled over a word or, or I, I misspoke something in it and I kept going. And I'm going to push this out. And a lot of people are going to listen to it. Some people might call that irresponsible, but I think it's a lesson. You don't have to be perfect. You have to just keep going because the value here is not, oh, Brandon did the 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 intro 15 times. Oh, look how good it sounded on the 15th time. He didn't he didn't mess any words up. The value is in what, what we're talking about in the lessons that are being conveyed. So the 80-20 rule, right? Focusing on the actual value that you're that you're you're talking about. I think right now what I'm hearing from you is is the basics, you know, at least for the college educated folk, we're going to circle back and we're going to spend a whole lot of time on the, on the first thing that you ran through, but for the college educated folk, they're thinking this is the rules have changed that what was up is down and and down is up because now I'm in the painting industry. I'm not selling $200,000 pieces of equipment or I'm not doing accounting. So the numbers and, you know, the financial metrics don't, don't matter anymore. This is painting. It's not accounting, but it's business as business as business. Go focus on the fundamentals, do them well. And you're probably going to be off to a strong start. 
Now, if you do the fundamental fundamentals well, and there aren't really that many of them in a painting business, not not that you can't get better and better and, and, and move on to secondary and tertiary things, you certainly can. But if you do the basics right in a painting business, after about year three or five, when you get through the rough patch of the launch, you can't kill the damn thing. You cannot <laughs> kill the damn thing. If you just do, and not, now I'm not saying the basics uh, from an industry average or standard standpoint, because if you do the industry average in painting, oh, yeah. you will be poor and you will fail because the average painting business is 1.7 people. It's one dude and two thirds of a helper. I don't know if he's missing an arm or what. But that's what it is. That's what it averages out to be. Yeah. And so you can't. And the other thing you can't do is ask for advice from people at the paint store or your peers in your local area, unless you want to be poor, because that you are going to get primarily uh, the philosophy of poverty. When you just ask most people that run a painting business, not everybody in your area, but most, that's what you're going to get. And that's what you have to avoid. Yeah, I always say um, I think I think I might have gotten this from Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know where I got it, but don't take advice from people you wouldn't want to trade places with. There you have it. Um, so that's why the PCA, that's why your academy, that's why places like that are good places to take advice because there are probably people in that room who you who you might be okay trading places with financially or business yep. wise. Right. Um, okay. So let's go back to the, you know, what is the 85 to 90% of the market, the non-college educated, the tradesman moves up into entrepreneur moves up into manager. How do you recommend someone who, who's doing that? How do they actually acquire those skill sets? How do they not kind of trip on themselves as they grow? Well, the first thing is you have to have some sort of mental awakening. Most of the time when people come to me um, on a call, something has happened. Now, some folks are just insanely driven, but that is not the majority of folks that I talk to, something has happened. Typically, it's I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm still broke. Uh, I just had a divorce. I had a heart attack. I'm bringing my son into the business. We moved into a new market. They found a book. They went to a seminar. Something happened. They're getting their 62 years old. Retirement's three years away. Whatever. There's some kind of life uh, occurrence that, that makes them go, okay, I need to do something different. But the majority of people never even have that awakening. They just think that the, the physical act of painting is the business. And they go through life from cradle to grave, uh, never doing anything any different. And so what I often do uh, is I show up where painters are, and whether it's online or in a mailbox or at an event or through a referral. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm talking about things. Uh, related to the problems they have in a way they've never heard before, and they realize there's something else to this that I am missing, and they start going through this um, period of their life where they really want to gain knowledge. They start watching things. They surf the net. They go to events, and after a while, they come to a conclusion that I don't want to have to reinvent all this stuff in the beginning, so I kind of interrupt them where they are, but that's a rare few. Most people never even get interrupted. They just they paint till they fall over. And they don't have much to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sad, it's a sad reality. Um, so, so for people who are listening to this, who have maybe been in the industry for a while, or maybe they're one of those uh, driven people, I mean, they're, they're listening, they're proactively trying to educate themselves on how to grow their businesses. Uh, for them, you would recommend a, a program like yours. Well, it, a good way to skip. Well, yes. I mean, so the, so the first thing, I guess, uh, backing up, 
it, a lot of this, and I'm not a big, I don't talk about mindset as much as I probably should. It's, it's actually a shortcoming of mine. Uh, I make the same assumption that my painters often make that I have to disabuse them of, which is you are not your clients. Painters always have all these these ideas about what works in sales or marketing or whatever, and and they're not true, and they've they've been proven untrue. But they hold them; they possess those ideas, but they're incorrect. Uh, so the the first thing is uh, you have to have some kind of uh, mindset that is uh, geared around curiosity and problem solving. Uh, versus indifference and excuse making. When I present someone who I feel like is going to be successful, and I've seen this play out time and time again with our best students, when I say, oh, so you've got a client list and you never communicate with them and there's 1,500 of them, and then we start talking about the fact that why are you spending all this money talking to stone cold strangers when the very people who perform the behavior that you're seeking to have happen again, you spend no money on that. You spend all your money over here. You've already found the people. If you, you don't have enough painters to paint these 1500 houses, if they all said, yes, let's talk to them first. You get one of two responses, which kind of demonstrates this mindset. The first group of people are, uh, are idiots and they can't be helped. <laughs> and they, and they say something like this. Well, I ain't going to paint your house about once. Are you telling me I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them once a month. And what am I going to tell them? Talk about painting. I mean, it's just like they, and they begin to say, I don't think that's going to work. I don't mind the idea. Well, what about, what about Facebook ads? I'm like, well, that is great, but let's pick up this low hanging fruit before we climb yeah. all the way up the tree and break our necks. Let's just, it's some of the stuff's laying on the ground. It's about to rot. Let's pick this, <laughs> this, this stuff up first that costs very little money and time. And then we, we will work our way up the tree, but let's start on, and they're, they're argumentative, they're dismissive. And the ones that make a lot of money are like, huh, man, I know I should, should be doing that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, what would I do? Should I put unconverted leads in there? Well, how often should I communicate? Well, what should the messages be? What's the best way to use them? What mediums? Like they, It's almost like you have given them a Rubik's Cube, and they're, they're taking their hands, and they're trying to solve the puzzle. And they're asking questions, and they're remarkably curious, whereas people that, that tend to not make a lot of money when you present an idea that is like an I wouldn't say an industry standard. It is a business 101 standard. You must communicate with your clients. Okay. That is just like you must communicate with your kids if you have kids. It's One so thing ridiculous talk, that you have to say it like that. I do. It is like I'm like John the Baptist, you know, crying out in the wilderness, you know, yeah. and, and, and nobody, it's, I've been <laughs> saying this for 10 years and it's like it's people, like pearls before swine. And, uh, and, it, and it's to their detriment. So curiosity uh, and and really wanting to to like, how do I do this? Like every every little part of my business uh, is a discipline, right? It is a unique set of skills. It's a unique system. How do we make this unique system, this part of the business, excellent? Whether it's sales, operations, or compensation package, all of it. There's a way to do it that that yields this wonderful, bountiful result, and then there's a way to do it that just creates poverty and misery. But people cling to that uh, instead of, of looking for something new. And so that that mindset of curiosity and problem solving versus indifference and excuse making is critical in entrepreneurs that are wealthy. Yeah, no mindset is huge. The and you're approaching it from really a a you know, mindset can seem soft. It, it can seem like, oh, hey, you have to believe you can do it. And that stuff is true. You know, I think there's a lot of power to that stuff. But the way that you're approaching mindset right now is actually not, is actually quite different. You're approaching mindset in terms of how you actually look at ideas, how you look at growth, essentially being open-minded, 
you know, the, the maybe played out term would be sort of abundance minded or oriented um, versus closed minded or having a scarcity or scared type of mindset. Uh, if someone is, well, let me back up. Why, why do you think some people would be immediately dismissive of an idea like that, that maybe they, they haven't implemented or don't fully understand versus other people would, would be like, yeah, you know what, maybe that's a good idea. I think it's a combination of a few things. I think the first thing is it's dressed in overalls and it smells like work. It's dressed in overalls. <laughs> it smells like work. And people are lazy. Uh, not lazy in that uh, I would say most painters uh, are lazy. Most people are lazy. And by that, I mean, they're not lazy in the sense that they won't go work all day. They won't work 16 hours a day. Like they've got the work ethic of, you know, the, the old Protestant work ethic that built this country. Right. That's what they have. And I, I work with people in the UK. I work with people in Australia and Canada. They don't work like we do here in the States. We are workaholics. Um, it's not that they're lazy, but they are mentally lazy. Here's this thing I don't know a lot about. I don't have any knowledge in. You're telling me I'm going to have to do something different in my business. I, I'm afraid of that. Uh, I'm scared of that. Uh, I don't know how to do that. Uh I can barely work Microsoft Word, Excel, and, and PowerPoint, which is a huge problem in our in our industry. It's just the technological divide. People uh, Sometimes I go to our industry conference. I love the PCA, and I realize that we've got the smartest people in our industry in the room, but they're always talking about all these apps and applications and and all that stuff. And I'm like, I tell you what, the number one problem is when I deal with painters, they can't turn the computer on, and they can't type in a Word document, and they don't know how to work spreadsheet, and we're trying to you know, they can't get out the door. We're trying to show them how to get on the moon. And we got to start where they are. And <laughs> I can see people in the room. Yeah, I can see people in the room. Like, oh, I don't know about and so you got to meet people where they are. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the other part of that uh, is, and I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but the other part of that is this. Um, if they admit that something is wrong, then they have to then be saddled with the fact that they're not doing anything about it. And it is a lot easier to just put the mental block in, you know, take the hammer, take the mallet and just put it in the hole and then move on with your life. A lot of, and, and you know, a lot of folks think if they just learn something, but don't do anything, or if they just surround themselves with people or ideas that somehow that magically just soaks into the business and everything improves when instead it's really like a series <laughs> of projects that you have to work through to completion and it's, it's uncomfortable and it, it requires work and it, it doesn't require a lot. I mean, you set aside four, eight hours a week and you work on business system implementation and improvement, you turn around a few months later and you're going to have a lot more money in your pocket. I mean, two or three months, depending on what you implement and you turn around 18 months later, you've got a completely freaking different business from about four to eight hours a week, but that four to eight hours a week, people insist they can't invest it. It's not true, but they insist that they can't. Uh, so that's if we could get into habits at some point, I mean, that's their, their habits as well. Yeah. So the it to me, it sounds like a lot of that's driven by fear. You know, this idea you present something, they don't know how to do it. It's overwhelming. The idea will reach out the past because they might not even have a, an official CRM, you know, customer relationship management system. They they might not even know if they have all the data. They, they don't know. They heard their rules about. You can't text people or you can't email. They don't understand the rules and the laws. And and then what do you even say to them? Yeah. Do you want me to come paint your house? I just painted it last week. So there's just, you're just, you're confronting them with this thing that just is this giant, scary question mark. And so the, 
I guess the the knee jerk reaction would be to just put head in sand and say, no, it's a bad idea. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do that because it's more comfortable, even if it's laborious, it's more comfortable to just continue to move forward how you're doing it than to have to kind of rip the Band-Aid, stop, take a hard look and figure out, I guess, the, the, the personal development, business development, who you need to bring on, whatever you need to do to actually take that next step. That's it's difficult. Yeah, it is. I mean, anytime you do anything new, I mean, it, and I have I have things in my life uh, that I've dragged my feet on for weeks, months, years, and then I finally do it. And there are things I don't like doing. And I drag myself to this desk and I do them all the time because I just got, you know, they're, they're, and every, nobody's life uh, in business is ever going to be uh, you doing everything you absolutely love to do. Uh, and, and so when you run into those situations where you're uncomfortable, uh, where you have anxiety, uh, where you uh, immediately want to do something that could be characterized as procrastination, I always tell our members that that is usually where the money is. That's usually where the money is. It's like a Gaga counter for wealth. If you're like nervous, your armpits are sweating, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. If you put it on the to-do list and it, three days later, it's the only thing left on the list, that's probably the thing that will make you the most money. Uh, checking another email, running another estimate, um, you know, going to the paint store one more time. If that was going to fix the problem, it would have been fixed 10 years ago. It can't be that. Or as I often tell people, well, you may disagree with me, but the only thing we know about how you're doing it is that doesn't work at all. You've yeah. proven that that doesn't work. You've used this method over and over again. That's one thing you can take off your list as, as, as something that works <laughs> is what you're doing. It's like Edison. You know, if Edison had put something other than horsehair in the light bulb and he had tried to turn it on, I don't think he's going to use that same thing for 15 years. But painters do. They put the same thing in the light bulb over and over again. And they turn the light bulb on and it doesn't come on. They just keep putting it back in there. And I'm like, it does not work. You got to put something else in there. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, the... Uh... That reminds me of the John Wooden quote, don't mistake activity for achievement. You know, it's no. easy, easy to, to be doing things and feeling like you're being productive because you're doing things. Email, what a uh, what a remarkable thing. If you, if you ever don't know what to do or the only thing left on your to-do list is that big, big, scary, important thing you don't want to do. Go check your email. Check your, there's some, very few of us have zero inbox. There's, there's got to be a problem in there. There's got to be a fire to there's fire. A fire. There's got to be some bad news in there. There's got to be yeah. an estimate request in there. Let's go check. Check, you know, what it's, it's you know, what is it that uh, it's like a uh, procrastination doom loop? You know, check your bank account, check your email, go check your Facebook, <laughs> look at the weather, check the sports scores, go back, post on Instagram for a little while, you know, because you're supposed week. to post, right? So yes. they're, they're putting out a social media, but they're growing their business. Yes, yes, that is, <laughs> that's going to do it. That's going to do it. Yeah. And so, and that's fine if you, you know, and, and I tell most people technology is great. And I hate to sound like a dinosaur, but some of the there's this common theme and I wish it weren't true. And I'm getting off off base here a little bit, but so many painting businesses that are failing miserably are some of the most technologically laden companies that I have worked with. So we talk about all the stuff and usually I ask at the beginning of our, you know, the first the, the first thing I look at are macro metrics. You know, what's your revenue? What's your income? Uh, income is, you know, your profit and net income. And if you drive a $60,000 truck, you write off that you only really use to tow your boat on the weekend. If your wife's, you know, paying her gym membership, just whatever the total compensation package would be if you work for somebody else, and they're not making any money. 
And, and often it's because they, they don't really understand the business processes, but they went out and got software first, thinking that that would solve a problem. And then they go get some more software, thinking it's going to solve a problem. But they really don't understand what, what, what the software needs to do or why, or it obfuscates or covers up the data or makes it hard to access, makes it hard to extrapolate. Uh, and, and so they don't do anything with it. They don't look at it. It's not used in real time to inform their decisions. It doesn't change the behavior of their crew leaders, but they're like, well, I've got all this technology. It's getting in the way of the sales process. It's actually getting in the way of persuading the customer to buy. And so sometimes that's the case. Uh, sometimes it isn't, but I'm telling you, uh, when you get down to brass tacks, it is typically uh, the fact that folks don't understand uh, in an intimate way what that system is supposed to do and they get the software first and they try to build the system around the software and they don't always get it right. Yeah. So they, I, that's a, an unbelievably good point. So I, I was at um, <clears throat> the PCA had a, a, the first conference that they've ever had for Spanish contractors. Mm-hmm. So it was a, you know, Spanish speaking event. I used to speak Spanish. Well, we're, we're working on recovering that. Um, I did present in it, sweat a little more than I thought I was going to during that time. But uh, it's called Pintando Paragana. You had to present in Spanish, correct? I did. Yep. Yeah. So we we did that, and then uh, and then we were doing Q and A. And at some point during the Q and A, I was like, you know what, Juan Vasquez, he was there. He's just going to translate. So we we just did some translation. And and uh, but one of the attendees, he's a good guy, good company, but he was very focused on. I mean, to the to the point, he asked I think two or three follow up questions during this Q and A. Of, of what's like the most innovative, what, what's the newest, what, what, like, how can you combine what, what's something that nobody else is doing in marketing? And my response was effective, just effective, basic marketing, right? That's what, if you do that, you're going to beat the whole room. If you just do the yeah. basics and you do them right, you're going to beat every single person in here. You don't have to worry about, you know, some TikTok to a video sales letter to like some crazy complicated thing. Just do the basics and do them really, really well. So exactly what you're saying, and I almost feel like it becomes a, a, a an exercise in in kind of wasted thought, or maybe it's just fun, or, or it's sometimes fun to feel like we're smarter than other people, or or we have some secret sauce. The secret sauce is just be really good at your business, and and just do the fundamentals really well. I agree. I agree entirely. And you know, I can remember one of our members was like fifteen, twenty million dollars uh, when he enrolled in our program, and he didn't have a website. Didn't have one. Uh, and you know, Who how did he, Who yeah, it's like, he might, he's like, I don't want people that are strangers calling me off the damn internet, you know, because they're, they're tired. You God know, forbid. No, I'm not saying you should, I believe you should. I'm not anti, you know, that, but I'm just saying that most people would think, Oh God, you can't even possibly do that. That's humanly mm. impossible. And, uh, and it's because like all the other, that's just one marketing uh, method out of an abundance of other ones. Uh, and, you know, uh, he was old school. And so he focused on relationship marketing, which is really your your quickest uh, way to find success in most cases. I always tell folks when it relates to marketing, uh, I always say, if your children uh, were abducted and held at gunpoint, and if, and if you didn't find $50,000 in sales by the end of the week, would you do what you're doing now? And they always said, no, I call my customers. I get in the car, I go see somebody, I'd run, 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 I'd email everybody. I'd, I don't do that shit every day and you won't have these problems. And yeah. so I call it gun to your head marketing. Like, What would you do if you were in the worst situation ever and you had to reach this big goal in a short period of time? And it is never, I would post on Instagram. Never. Yeah. 
And, and, and not to say that you shouldn't do these, those things in their own silos and measure their return on investment and their uh, average uh, cost per sale and cost per lead and, and percentage of acquisition. You certainly should. Uh, but it is just hilarious to me that people intrinsically know what works, uh, but, but they don't do it uh, with regularity. Yeah. You ask a question like that, you can really cut through the fat in people's minds. Yeah. Get them to the heart of the issue quickly. The relationship marketing. So obviously growing on referrals, repeat business, that's a common theme in the painting industry. You know, you're in business long enough. Eventually you can probably grow, you know, to over a million dollars or through some length of time, you'll get somewhere if you just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, what I find is pretty rare is a really active approach to relationship marketing. I find it's far more passive. Man, I know you're super passionate about this. Can, mm -hmm. can you talk about the most effective ways to, to actively conduct relationship marketing? I will. I'd be happy to. <laughs> I'd be happy to. So especially like right now, it's winter. Uh, and almost all of our guys have a very strong um, online, a pretty strong or decent online leads game. Everybody likes to swap a credit card and, and make their problems go away. So I don't coach to that a lot because people will do it without me even having to coach. Them. Like they'll waste money. They'll throw it in the garbage can. But they don't track it. So the, I know they're going to swap the credit card on online marketing. Like I, there's no doubt in my mind. So I don't harp on that. But what they won't do is is put together a good list of commercial uh, repaint prospects, people that are facility managers, maintenance managers of 200, 300, a million square feet of uh, manufacturing, class A office space, assisted living facilities, private schools, et cetera. They won't go look at uh, the top 10 realtors in their market that are moving houses in the ideal neighborhoods where people are very wealthy, very old, and living in houses that that were built in the 1990s that have siding that has to be painted every three years. Uh, they're not out there networking with other plumbers, uh, cabinet installers. They don't have a process for uh, surveying their clients on every visit for uh, what trades they will need over the next 60 days and creating a network where they swap leads with that same survey approach. They're not running referral routes. They're not showing up at the BOMA meetings. They're not uh, sponsoring uh, the interior decorator conference that might be in their area if they're in a mid-sized metro or larger. Uh, they're just just all the stuff that if you just get in front of people, uh, add them to your mailed and emailed newsletter list monthly, and if you physically show up in their office and then set up an appointment to take them out for coffee and then stay in touch with them uh, by phone, email, and mail, and you build this list of your top 100 people that are uh, trusted by and serving the same clients that you serve, well, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, one of the concepts that I'd like to share with everyone here is, is this. When something really good happens in your business, Meaning somehow, some way, almost everybody's got one or two referral sources. It could be a realtor. It could be another tradesperson. It could be a uh, plumbing company. It could be a water remediation company that you come behind and fix their holes and their destruction as they do all that stuff. Whatever it is, everybody runs into somebody like that on accident and they send you twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of work a year. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad I got these people. But you didn't do anything to do it. Get it. You didn't do any, no outbound communication, no consistent anything. It just happens, right? It's pleasant. It's positive. It happens. Same things with referrals for your clients. When that happens, you need to stop 
shake yourself by the tail, by my little pails, like just, and just ask yourself, what can I do to make this happen more frequently with more people? What would that system look like? And then put that system in place because it is remarkably powerful. Uh, it'll never go away. It's never going to stop uh, working. It says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and I haven't found anything yet. And uh, neither will you if you look. And so you might as well just go do what has been proven to work before. Um, and when it comes to marketing, uh, looping back to that thing that you told me uh, about the gentleman asking a thousand application questions, um, you, you can always spot a pioneer. You know how, Brandon? <laughs> They're lying face down and they've got arrow, arrows in the back. Uh, that's how you spot a pioneer. Uh, and <laughs> what you want to do is you let three or four of those people go run out there. And uh, the one that makes it to wherever he's going, you go follow him. You don't want to be the pioneer. That's a bad thing to be in most industries, in most situations. You don't want to be a pioneer. You want to be, like, they always say, oh, so-and-so so pioneered in X, Y, and Z. And usually it's not. It's usually he's the fifth or sixth person who learned enough lessons from everybody else that failed. Somebody found something that worked, and then he did it and did it a little better and then improved upon it. So uh, that is a, a far better strategy in business than the other. Yeah, like pe people, you know, thought Facebook was was the first social platform far from it. And, you know, these things, they they the first mover advantage, this idea of being the first mover advantage is long, uh, is largely overshadowed by second, third, fourth mover advantage of seeing seeing all the things that went wrong for the, the first couple. Of let, let somebody else spend all that venture capital money creating a market. And then now after the market's created, you come in and, and, and build a better mousetrap. Yep. Yeah, 100 percent. So the. The way that you just broke all that down, I mean, you did mention Realtor as a referral source. You know, it almost seemed like the way that real estate agents operate to me. You know, it was it was extremely hands on. It was extremely intentional. Um, it it was far more, I guess, robust than I expected. I, I focused you. To, I expected you to focus on maybe BNI, um, you know, Chamber of Commerce. BNI is good if it's productive. Not all chapters are. Uh, you know, the thing that makes a BNI group uh, productive is twofold. Number one, you need to have a high concentration of tradespeople in there. If your BNI is full of massage therapists and acupuncturists and and, a, and an attorney and somebody that sells insurance, you're, you're in the wrong group. Uh, you want a strong trade alliance in there. And then you have to uh, really train them uh, how to gather referrals in the field when they write estimate requests. And, it, and it's not through just hoping somebody uh, you know, to ask you a question. Like you really, the easiest way to get referrals for any networking group is to survey your clients while you're at the home. I started a thing called the Chattanooga Trades Association and founded it and grew it up when I was here. And I'm still friends with a lot of those people, very close friends. And, um, and, we surveyed everybody, and what we found was that uh, when you put that survey in front of them, they filled it out 70% of the time, and they checked 2.1 boxes. So if you ran 10 estimates, you had about 14 leads, and we got together every other week. It was half as long as BNI. It didn't cost any money. We surveyed them, and it was just a cash cow. But it does take somebody organizing it and running it and leading it, and not everybody has the interest or the ability to do that, but I did, and I loved it. Uh, and I'd do it again. If I started a painting business again, I'd be one of the first things I did. Yeah, man, that's wonderful. When when we are talking about what everyone generally thinks in terms of reaching out via email or text or calling or direct mail or whatnot for, let's say, past customers, what would you recommend in terms of messaging for past customers 
as kind of a reminder for the, well, you don't have to keep getting your house painted every single year. So what should you send them? So there's, so I have spent um, a lot of time in my career. And before I got into painting, I was in politics. I ran U.S. Senate, U.S. House, state and local races. I wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office. I run our state's uh, largest conservative news alternative. I'm, I'm a conservative and I'm a Christian. And I always tell people, if you will not tell people that, uh, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior because you're worried you're going to lose some money. If you won't tell folks that uh, you love your country because you're afraid um, that someone won't invite you to a cocktail party, then your values are, are neither Christian nor conservative. They're money and people's approval. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to stand up no matter what your business model is. Uh, if, and, and I'm going to be worm food in 40 years, and I don't want my kids to look on and say that I would not speak my mind. I'm not going to do that. And so I've had a, a huge opportunity, and I worked in nonprofits uh, to learn about newsletter marketing. And it's a uh, sometimes it's a misnomer. It's how you communicate with your clients consistently. And it needs to be, uh, from a messaging standpoint, purely messaging, it can't be about paint because they don't care about paint and neither do you. Uh, because I ask people, I ask painters, what do you do in your free time? Do you just read about paint all the time? Like, I don't ever read about paint. So well, if you don't read about paint and you own a painting business, imagine how much they're not reading about paint. Yeah. And so you can't be about paint. It's really about building a personal relationship. It's about giving them helpful information. It's about telling them uh, what you did with your wife last weekend, how you celebrated your ser- your uh, anniversary, uh, the fact that uh, one of your painters just got his GED, uh, that um, you and one of your customers uh, have been best friends for 15 years. It's, it's all that personal stuff that makes people like you because they really don't, honestly, they don't refer your company very often. They primarily refer you. They refer the estimator. They refer the owner. This is still a people business. This is not a branding business. This is not a logo business. This is a personal business. People completely screw this up. You can't you can't brand your area. And yet I don't want to get into that, but you can't. There's no such thing as a hardly. There's no such thing in a, as a brand in painting. Uh, you're not Lexus. You're not Toyota. People don't uh, identify uh, with your painting business. They're not uh, tying their personal identity up in it. You are a dude that does something for them that is reliable, uh, like somebody that cuts hair or does anything else. And if you do a good job at it, they will refer you. And if you've got a strong personal connection, they will. Uh, helpful articles on how to improve their life, uh, funny comics, recognizing customers, uh, um, having a contest where you have the best referrer of the month. It's the same stuff that would be in a church newsletter. Uh, It's the same stuff that would be in a nonprofit newsletter uh, or a political newsletter to a degree. Uh, And so that's that's the mix. It needs to be, you know, about 80 percent non-paint and maybe about 20, about uh, probably about 70 percent non-paint, about 10 percent pitch and about 20 percent tangentially. I said that wrong. Related business stuff. But if you treat your clients like a human ATM machine. That's just about as bad as not communicating with them. If everything you send them is the deal of the month, the color of the month, <laughs> why you should stain your club. why you should stain your deck, uh, five colors that make your office make you feel not depressed, whatever the hell that stuff is, I see people send out all the time. It's like the worst, and they think that's good. Uh, if I see one more email in our industry talking about the color of whatever, I'm going to throw up. 
Brenda, how do you really feel about it, though? There have never been any, there are no more colors today than there were a million years ago. Just because you point at one and say something about it, I just don't think that's interesting. I don't think anybody else does either. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know. There are trends in colors. I get it. And they come and go, but I don't know. It's probably just the practical nature of my mind. I just get tired. (laughs) Who cares about the new green? It's just the same practical. (laughs) Not to say, I used to have a pair of pants like that when I was in the eighth grade. This is nothing new. Yeah. So almost like it's a marketing gimmick or something. It's not even an effective marketing gimmick. For a marketing gimmick, it has to be effective. Yeah. If it's not an effective marketing gimmick, it's just a waste of electrons. Yep. Well, I know you said you you didn't want to get into it. I I am going to push back on you a little bit because I find this really interesting. And I've actually had at length conversations with people about this, the branding. You know, I think that people way overthink it. You know, we we work with uh, painting companies. We build sites. We build their presence. And and sometimes we get so we get stopped because it, it just it it they kind of go over the rails in terms of the branding and the logo and the the every every word needs to be exactly right. And no, this this page has a little and I'm like, man, you are really missing the forest through the trees here. Like, no, not one person in the next 10 years is gonna care about this detail on your site. And and my thought process has been yours exactly. You know, you're not Nike either. There's not some like Emotion you're evoking. You're in a different type of business. Uh, some yeah. things like uh, people's religion, their clothes, the car they drive, the house they live in is very tied up in their identity. No one ever says, well, I heard that you used goat fox painting <laughs> at a cocktail party. Nobody cares. Get the get the logo like painted on the side of the house. Nobody cares. Uh, and so the and the other thing about branding is this: one of the biggest marketing mistakes that painting contractors make is they want to go a mile wide and an inch deep, and they want to like sprinkle a little money everywhere, and they wonder why they don't have any purchase. When I worked uh, on U.S. House, U.S. Senate races, we would have to spend in a metro market about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get ten points of name ID, and it would almost evaporate in sixty days. Which means that if you want to like have sixty percent of the people in the market recognize you, you got to spend almost a million dollars. And this is just like Republican primary voters, okay? And that so which is a small crowd. It's a very small crowd because most people don't vote, and only half of them, or depending on where you are, seventy to forty percent of them vote Republican. Right? So it's a really a, if you look at a metro market, comparatively speaking, it's a small market. Ten points of name ID. It's gone in sixty days. Most painting contractors spend like. 20 to 30, maybe 50 grand, maybe 100, 200 grand a year. And they think they're going to quote unquote brand their community. You are living in a delusional reality. <laughs> You're not going to do that. Now, can you create a, uh, a, a brand and a sense of um, awareness about your company in a small audience? Uh, audience? Yes. If you pick a thousand realtors and you put them on a newsletter list and you consistently talk to them, I don't think, I think it's way too many. But I'm just giving that as an example. If you uh, show up in your BOMA meetings every uh, month and you put them on your newsletter list and you have an appreciation dinner for them and you and you uh, stalk them on social media, can you build a brand and list of 150 property managers and facility managers who can make you rich? Yeah. Can you get on a uh, radio station and run enough radio ads where people that listen? And I used to do this with conservative and Christian talk radio where people watch stop you in the supermarket and say, hey, you're that guy with the nasally southern redneck accent. I need something painted. Can you do that with 60,000 people in a decent budget? Yes, but most people try to, they don't think about their medium 
Uh, they don't think about their budget and they have no idea what it takes to get uh, the exposure to have enough estimate requests to come in with the proper conversion rate and the average transaction size to justify the market. Yeah. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> the idea of having a small market, whether that be a yeah, radio station with, with a certain sub subsegment of listeners or whether it be, you know, neighborhoods that you're operating in and kind of having an omnipresence channel there. So maybe running ads to them, having uh, websites that, that lend yourself to show up for searches in that area, doing, um, you know, having your, your rep vans drive it, yard signs, uh, door hangers, EDDM, things like that in a small area, you can become known in that area, but they're still not going to know you or think about you the way that they do Rolex. Mm -mm. It's just not going to be that way. You're just a service provider. I went today and I'm going to stand. It's getting dark in here. I'm going to, uh, I went today to pick my daughter up from school. Sorry. It's the, I live in the mountains. I'm in a bowl of trees and the, the sun only shows from about 10 o'clock to three o'clock. So it's starting to get dark in here. I'm in my office detached from the house. Um, I went to pick up my daughter and there were two yard signs at the top of the W road that I had seen previously about uh, gutter cleaning and leaf removal. And I'm just here in this old growth forest of a hundred years and it's not been cut and it's huge trees. And so my yard is just like, I've been fighting leaves continuously here. Um, and I went and I, I drove all the way over there, pulled on the side of the road, took a picture of one uh, leaf removal uh, company sign. And then I think they had actually put the sign of the other company down because there was only one before. And so I went out there and I lifted it up off the ground and I stuck it back in the ground. And some bastard <laughs> came over here and took this competition sign down. I mean, if you're going to put it down, you might as well steal it. I mean, at this point. And it so just I'll makes you look mad if you just dump it and put yours right next yes, to it. Yes, I mean, it's these steal it. Don't just set it there for him to come back and put up. So I put it up for him. I don't know who he is. And I took two pictures of both signs and I'm going to probably call uh, this weekend to get the, the leaves removed. Did I think about the brand? No. I thought, I need to have my leaves out of my gutters. Let's see which one of these people looks like they can be trusted to do that. And let's let's get a quote, and, and I'll select one of them. And so that's how most of your uh, people uh, go through their decision-making process. Now, there are marketing messages that resonate, right? People care about what's your warranty, what's your guarantee, do your background, you check your painters, how long have you been in this? Most people have worries, fears, and concerns. Uh, women in particular, they're worried about sexual assault. They're worried about theft. They're worried about having folks in their homes that are going to case it or steal something or drug use or the way you smell, the noise you're going to make. And those are things they'll never tell you. And then they get down to the things that they actually will talk to you about. Like, are you going to make a mess? Or you, is it, what if this doesn't hold up? What's your promise on this stuff? How many people have you worked for? How long have you been in business? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What are the people going to look like that come over here, et cetera? And those are all things you can put in your marketing uh, messaging. You can put it on your website. You can put it in any medium that you use, depending on how long form it is. And then it needs to be sprinkled throughout your sales process with lots of third-party proof because nobody will take your word for anything. So, yeah, is, are there things you can communicate and say that help your market, that helps your marketing convert, that helps your sales convert? Absolutely. It's important, yes. But it's not about the ethos or the culture of your company. It's about the needs of the client and making sure that you talk to those needs. Uh, it's not about you. It's all about them. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, people get very hung up in in their company. The, the client doesn't really care about your company. They care about right. what you can do for them. Yes. Uh, so then we've we've covered a lot, Brandon. We are coming up close to time, but we, we've covered having a, an open mindset, 
um, doing the fundamentals really well, a whole host of other things. Is there anything else you want to cover in terms of the highest achieving painting contractors you've encountered, the, the patterns, how they tend to, to think or do things? I'm going to close in rapid fire with eight things, and I'm not even going to be able to elaborate on them. So if people want to know what these things are, they're just going to forever wonder and marvel. But here they are. First, they use their calendars as shields and not sponges. Most people are like, I can't do this. I can't do that. They try to put in the things that make money whenever they're uh, not inconvenienced or when they don't have anything else to do. And that's only about two weeks out of the year for a painter. So you got to use your calendars as shields, not as sponge. They focus on reducing problems and increasing uh, opportunities at the system level, not the situational level. They don't go fight a fire. They're more like a fire marshal. They put the systems in place that reduce the fires. They don't run out and put the fires out. That, that's their mentality. Uh, number three, they major on the majors, not the minors. There are some things that can make a huge difference in your business if you fix them. And there are some things that if you worked on them for hours on end every week, it wouldn't make much difference. People often major on the minors. Uh, they plan uh, from the highest ROI to the lowest ROI activities. Uh, they use math to inform their planning decisions instead of emotions. If it's not scalable or trainable, they question its value. And they avoid uh, unnecessary debt. This is for people that have lots of money in the painting industry and they postpone gratification. And those are eight things that I have seen to be commonalities uh, in wealthy painters. And so if you're not wealthy and you've been in this industry for like 10, 15, 20, 30 years, it's not the industry. It's not the market. It's not the competition. It is you. You are the reason that things aren't going well. And so you need to fix yourself so that you can fix your company. Truth bombs. Brandon, I appreciate you, man. It was good. It was this good. was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I would do it again. I well, it again. then we then we will do it again, brother. I I uh enjoy your approach. It's well very thank awesome. you. And I hope that you and Tara uh have an opportunity to connect. We're done with the notes. I hope you and Tara have an opportunity to connect. Uh she is fantastic, wonderful. I'm glad to have her on the team. She thinks a lot of you uh in your capabilities and uh because I know that you had helped them at Fresh Coat where she was CEO for a little while. Uh, for 10 years, I worked with her for the first first four to five, helping them get systems in place that were absent or broken. And so uh, I, I, I value her opinion. So if she says you're a good egg, you're a good egg. I appreciate you, Brandon. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Take care, bud. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.